Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. What did I say last week? Uh, only the best come north, right? Uh, something about uh, this climate that uh, shapes our character a bit, doesn't it? I think I mentioned a month ago or so, I, I went through the hassle of having to get a new phone. And uh, I, I found out you know, some features I didn't know about. For instance, this phone comes with something called a stylus. Now, um, some of you techies are going to laugh at me, but I didn't really know what that was at all. Um, so I got to show you now. Um, you know, a stylus is really just a pointed instrument that you can use to write or mark things. And, and uh, this phone then comes with, with a stylus like this. So you can turn this into a sketch pad or, or a, yeah, so there, I just said hi to you. Um, so it's fascinating technology and what you can do on these things. Uh, and I just discovered that a couple days ago. Uh, but you know, a stylus is actually something that's been around for a long time in one form or another. I, I guess uh, what I found was it dated back to probably 1300 BC or so when uh, there were writing tools made out of uh, earthen materials like a rock and you could write then on wax or on, on clay tablets etching in, into that. Um, they've been made out of different materials like feathers and reeds and so on. Um, an iron stylus then would be a very sturdy tool that would be used to write on a harder surface. And you may be wondering why I'm even mentioning that. I'll tell you in just a bit. But as we're looking today in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, uh, we're considering then a nation that is in decline. And the Old Testament nation of Judah had, had really lost sight of its foundation. It, it had gone from being a nation that trusted in God and, and was greatly blessed by God to being one that was really awaiting the judgment of God. And in the beginning of chapter 17 then of the book of Jeremiah, God says that the sins of the nation of Judah are, are so ingrained in them and in their culture that it's like sin and rebellion against God is engraved with an iron stylus on their hearts. It's permeated their daily thoughts and their very will. And so in the verses we look at today then, God shows us and shows them the depravity of their human hearts and he puts before them and us an ultimatum. Choose who you're going to put your trust in and recognize that what you choose will have consequences. Look with me please at Jeremiah chapter 17 and we'll begin with verse 5 there and invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, and who makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert. It will not see when prosperity comes, and will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water, 
that extends its roots, uh, its roots by a stream, and it will not fear when the heat comes, and its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. As a partridge that hatches eggs which is as not laid, so is he who makes a fortune but unjustly. In the midst of his days it will forsake him, and in the end he will be a fool. A glorious throne on high from the beginning is the place of your sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down, because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are my praise. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the prophet Jeremiah who was willing to speak out, to be a voice uh, speaking out and pointing to you and pointing to the need to turn hearts to you when all around him seemed to be ignoring that. Lord, thank you that, he, that the words that he declared are, are written for us as well. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts today, even through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. According to Jeremiah chapter 17 here then, there, there are two options of whom to put your trust in in life. Uh, and you might think that there are really several, but there are really only two. Trust in mankind, he says, or in other words, in human flesh and things associated with that, or trust in the Lord God. If you choose to uh, trust in mankind and to make flesh your strength, then, then you're putting your trust in fallible beings that often disagree with each other and, and even make enemies of each other. And you then have the difficult tasks uh, of trying to figure out which ones currently you could trust and sorting out the combined knowledge and perspectives of humanity throughout the ages to determine how best to then run your life. Another term for mankind mentioned here then in verse 5 is flesh. And that describes in a physical being with, with a body that is temporary. And the reality that we all have, have to live with is that any person that we look to and trust in on this earth is a, mor a mere mortal. And, and thus, one day, their flesh, their, their physical body, will die. It, it may be... Um, or may not be before you die, or I die. But either way, we are trusting in something, in someone then, who is fallible and perishable, and thus guaranteed to let us down. For instance, I can no longer look to and trust in my grandparents, or even my dad. He's been gone for 26 years. And I remember in the months right after he died, where every once in a while I'd have this thought, well, I want to talk to my dad about that. And then I'd go, well, that's right, I can't. Someday my kids will, will no longer be able to call me about their car problems either. Not, not that I really even have any answers for them now, but I'm somebody that can talk it through with them. And more and more, I can't help them with those things because I don't know enough, but also because I'm not near enough to really be there for them and help them that way. Those are just a few of the limitations of human flesh. Even the strongest and smartest of human flesh will at some point become weaker and less knowledgeable, and so trusting in human flesh will always let us down. 
And that's certainly true with the government as well then, because government on this earth is only made up of fallible human beings, um, each with their own weaknesses and limitations. And the only other option then is to not trust in mankind, but to trust in the Lord God. That is to trust in one who is eternal, who is almighty, all-knowing, everywhere present, wise, good, and merciful, holy, true, and just. So different from us humans. And in each of our lives, then, we have to decide, well, who am I going to trust in? And, and now I'm not saying that, that it's wrong for us to, to uh, in any way, trust in humans. I, I, I sure hope that um, you all have somebody that you trust in this life in some way, but recognize their limitations. They are mere mortal flesh and will someday, in some ways, let you down. And as you consider who of these two options and you ultimately put your trust in, recognize also with this that there are cumulative results for each. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, when my kids were in kindergarten, when we lived back in Minot, uh, their teacher would have them learn one letter of the alphabet each week. And they might have already known them all, but on that particular week, then they would each uh, be, be uh, given this assignment, and I remember helping them with it, where we'd get out some magazines and some seed catalogs, and we'd try to find then some objects that started with that letter. And then we'd cut them out, and we'd paste them on, on a sheet of paper, and they'd bring them to school. And uh, the next week, they'd learn the next letter, until they'd learned all 26 letters of the alphabet, and a whole bunch of words that started with each of them. That's what you call cumulative knowledge. Well, who we trust in in our lives over the weeks and the months and the years has cumulative results for each of us. And so we're told here in verses 5 and 6, the heart that turns away from the Lord becomes like a bush in the desert. The heart that chooses to trust in mankind, whether that be in self or in other mankind, rather than in the Lord, will experience cumulative results in their life. And those results are described here with something that we can picture easily in our minds. Um, how many of you have traveled sometime through kind of a desert area? Really sparse vegetation there. Um, picture in your mind then those scraggly little bushes or shrubs out there in the desert that don't get any higher than knee high and haven't probably grown in years. They, they seem just barely alive. One commentary explained that Jeremiah, in Jeremiah's day, they were what they called uh, dwarf juniper bushes. They had this particularly stark and naked appearance um, with no prospect of improvement. God's word is declaring here, that's what your life will look like if you put your trust in human flesh and if you turn away from the Lord. As that juniper bush, that even if on a very rare occasion there's some rain out there in the desert, it still doesn't help its looks at all. Um, so will be the one who doesn't trust in the Lord. They shouldn't expect things to improve out there in the desert of their life. Their, their life is cursed, it says here. In that it will be incurring then cumulative results of cutting themselves off from the source that they needed for nourishment. Turning away from the Lord is cutting themselves off from what the Bible calls the fountain of living water. And he says then in verse 6, he will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. But on the other hand, verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. 
The heart that trusts in the Lord will become like a tree that's planted by the water, that extends its roots down deep um, by the stream, and it will not fear when the heat comes, but, it, but its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious even in the year of drought, because it's right there by the water, and it won't cease then to yield fruit. What is the picture God wants us to have here? It's a, a tree that is green and flourishing because it has a continual supply of nourishment. And the result will be that even in the bad years, it still produces fruit. That's how God's word describes the life that is trusting in the Lord. No matter what happens around that person, their roots run deep into the source of living water. And, and that person is blessed. Not ecstatically happy every moment, but, but secure. Thriving even in times of challenge because they know that they, they know the one that they can trust in is in control and, and they're living in a daily relationship with him. In the New Testament, Jesus describes himself as living water and he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water I shall give him shall become in him like a well of water springing up to eternal life. Well, in spite of what God's word tells us, we often seem determined to look everywhere else to satisfy the deep longings of our hearts. Why is that? God explains that to us in verse 9 here. It's because of the deceitful human heart. What's it mean to be deceitful? It's untruthful, guilty of misleading. Well, how deceitful is the human heart? He says in verse 9, it's more deceitful than all else. It, that isn't good news. It, it's pretty deceitful. Our own hearts can and, and do mislead us. They are not to be trusted. The human heart is further described in verse 9 here as desperately sick, or in other words, incurable, gravely ill. You know, incurable, that's, that's uh, not the diagnosis any of us want to hear about our health. It means there's no fixing it. And in a way, that is the reality of our spiritual heart's condition. We are bent on sin, and we can't make ourselves quit sinning. RSV tr translates it this way. We are, it, it is desperately corrupt. And furthermore, we're told in verse 9, really, that we don't even understand our own hearts. Well, one of my uh, daily devotions this past week... Uh, uh, Paul David Tripp is an uh, author that I've been using for devotions, and, and uh, he talked of how there are two lies that we humans are continually tempted to tell ourselves. One of them is, is the lie of autonomy, which says that I'm an independent human being with the right to live however I wish. I don't have to live under anyone's authority. That's a lie. The, the second lie, he says, is the lie of self-sufficiency which tells me that I, I have everything I need um, within myself, and so I don't need any help. That's a lie. Just a couple of days earlier in devotions, he talked of how really the big delusion and the height of arrogance is that, that one fateful thought that we buy into, that perhaps I'm smarter than God. And maybe my way's better than his way. And he goes on to say, only grace can deliver the deluded from the danger they are to themselves. Do you recognize that reality? 
we, that is all of us humans, are, are in deep trouble and we are desperately in need of help from above, help from someone that does not have the same limitations, the same weaknesses, the, the same problem of a deceitful heart that we ourselves have. And, and there's only one that fits that description, and that is the Lord God, the one who is eternal, almighty, all-knowing, everywhere present, wide, wise, good, and merciful, holy, true, and just. Verse 10 reminds us here that the Lord God is also the one who is the searcher of human hearts. He knows and he tests human hearts and minds. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Now we're all familiar with tests. They're part of our life. Uh, whether they be tests of our knowledge uh, at school or in confirmation class or, or tests of our physical body to determine how good our eyesight or our um, physical heart function or our muscle strength is or things like that. But no human person or no invention of mankind can search and test our spiritual hearts. But God does. And he sees exactly what's going on there. And he understands our human hearts better than we do ourselves. And he searches every one of our hearts. And then it says here that he gives to each accordingly. He, he gives according to what we deserve for our sin. That's justice. But we're also told in Scripture that he gives according to how we have responded to him when he searches our hearts and he exposes our sin and our deceitfulness. And he teaches us here in verse 11 from an interesting example, the, the example of the partridge. Now, popular belief was that a partridge would sit on and would hatch the eggs of other birds. And, and when the fledglings then realized the false nature of the mother that hatched the eggs there, then they would leave her and they would depart the nest. Well, like that, God's word tells us, for instance, that riches that are acquired by wrongful means will disappear just when the owner was counting on them for security. Or any other thing that we think that we gain by deceit will end up being quite empty gain. And any pleasure that we seek apart from God's ways and contrary to his word will kind of just sour in our mouth. We might fool others, we might even fool ourselves for a while, but we can't fool God. And so what we are to do then, when we realize the reality of what God's word is telling us here, what should we do? When we see that we have been trusting in ourselves or in other fallible human beings, each of them have, having deceitful human hearts, instead of trusting in the Lord God, what are we to do? He invites us to come to him with what we understand now about ourselves, because he knew it all already. And we give up then trying to hide it from him, and we admit that we have fallen prey to Satan's lies of autonomy and self-sufficiency and so on. We're reminded in verse 12 and following here, the summary then, the place to go with our human hearts. And that's to the Lord God. I love what it tells us in Psalm 145. It says that he is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him, how? In truth. We can't fool him. So we need to come honestly to him. We go to him and we pour out our heart to him. And in verse 14 then, we see an example of a, of a prayer then, of a penitent. And he says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. 
He's referring to his sinful heart. Save me and I will be saved for you are my praise. No one else can save us from ourselves. No one else can heal the deceitful human heart and make us men and women of integrity. David in Psalm 139, at the end of that psalm, prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah knew that judgment was coming for his nation. But, but his hope and his prayer was that some people would yet listen to his words and confess their sins and allow God to change them and to give them new hearts that hungered after God. And so he pointed here then to the depravity of their human hearts and their desperate need for a Savior. And he also did point them to that Savior. And you get just a few chapters later in chapter 23, he points ahead to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be that Savior. And he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He was pointing to Jesus, a righteous, sinless Son of God, who died for unrighteous sinners with deceitful hearts in order that we would be forgiven of our sins and, and given new hearts that, that trust no longer in ourselves, but trust in the Lord God. Let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord God, what Jeremiah tells us here today is something that we hate to admit to ourselves. We, we tend to trust so much in mankind and then continually be disappointed in others and in our government and other things, Lord, that are connected to mankind. But Lord, we also tend to trust too much in ourselves. And, and uh, Lord, we, we think that we are autonomous and we don't need to listen to anybody and we are self-sufficient and those are lies of Satan. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us to see them for what they are. You would help us that we would be willing to uh, recognize how easily we are deceived. And Lord, that we would daily humble ourselves before you confess our sin, and, and ask for your help. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus, the righteous branch, there is forgiveness of all of our sin, and there is the promise of eternal life. And, and there is also the Holy Spirit who comes to live in our hearts and to work change in our heart and, and to guide us in, into the right path, Lord, so that we would not be deceived. We pray that you'd help us, that we would live daily in your word, too, that would sharpen our, our um, discernment so that we would know the truth from error. And Lord, we just thank you that as we look to you, uh, no matter what's going on around us in this world, uh, we can have confidence because we can trust in you and not in mankind. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.